Welcome everyone to the Weird World Podcast. I'm your host, Dean, with my sidekick. No, does that? <laughs> She's never going to get tired of that. If somebody is listening to this for the first time, they're going to... Be offended. Think you're some kind of host. We are the co-host, Dean and Carrie. <laughs> and we're not really hosts of anything. Okay. Now this is getting weird. Mm-hmm. So today, Carrie is going to finally tell a story about something that I actually do know this one. She actually told me the, the topic on this we've discussed. It's intriguing. It's one of Carrie's... You might be mistaken about Uh-oh. that. Uh-oh. Did you switch it up on me? <laughs> yes, I did. Oh, my God. Okay. So never mind. <laughs> I don't know what's happening right now. So you switch it up on me. So I'm not going to give any kind of preamble of what the topic is because I no. don't know. Take it away. Well... I'm crossing out. I started notes, and I started. I'm gonna have to cross that out. Okay. You may have heard of this man. His name is Edward Muybridge. Okay, hold on. It's a great name. Edward Muybridge. How do you how do you spell the last one? How do you spell both of them? How do you spell every letter? Edward E A D W A D. Okay. W A R D. You really don't need to take notes on okay. this. Why not? Muybridge. M U Y. Okay. Bridge. Bridge. I'm going to say that's probably still Edward. <laughs> Did you look it up? Is it really Edward? It probably is still Edward. Okay, let's go. I like Edward better. So let's but it's it. but it's spelled Edward. Okay. So I want to um, signify the drama that uh, is Edward okay. Muybridge. Okay. No, and I'm it's not probably ever... it's a probably pronounced Maybridge or something like that. But I've never heard of this person. Well, you know of his work. I'll take your word for it. He was a famous photographer in the 1800s. He was born in England, okay. but he came to America in the mid-1800s when he was 20 years old, as a matter of fact. I, I think his family came from means. I don't think they were, you know, ridiculously wealthy, but they did have some money. But he, oh, of the Essex Mee Bridges. Of course, <laughs> now I've placed it. He told his grandma, no, 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 Granny, I don't need your money. I'm going to go to America and make my own way. You know, I, I would still take grandma's money. Well, that, well, he probably had to stay in England if he did that. Oh, okay. So, uh, Thank God no. Hi, everyone in England. Uh, love your country. Obviously, he probably started out in New York, but he ended up making his way to San Francisco, okay. where he became a bookseller. Okay. This was, of course, during the Great Gold Rush. When... Surprisingly, I didn't write any of this down because it really isn't part of the story. But surprisingly, in San Francisco, during the gold rush, there were many bookstores in San Francisco. I guess they had to do something, right? In their off time? Okay, I don't know. They weren't paying for gold? Well, I'm assuming the city dwellers were the ones who... Because the gold miners would stop in San Francisco just to pick up supplies and head out to to the mountains. But So the books... Stores, wouldn't you think that was for the people yeah. who live there? I don't know, but there were a lot of them. Okay, well, good. And he always seemed to have some sort of interest in photography. Mm-hmm. He wasn't actually doing it, but like he was selling prints in his bookstore and stuff like that. Then in 1877, he was an acquaintance of Leland Stanford. Mm-hmm. Of Stanford University, mm-hmm. he was also governor, right? I don't know yes. when. About he was governor, but I don't think later. Yeah, yeah, he was governor at this time. No, but uh, Stanford was big into horse races and racing horses, as one might imagine. Who wasn't? Well, in those days, all the rich people loved their (laughs) horses. Exactly. So in 1877, he bet Edward Edward. Okay. um, Stanford did. Yes. Okay. Um, because Stanford was convinced that horses could fly. Stanford was. Yes. Leland when they Stanford, ran. When they founder ran. Founder of Stanford University. Yes. Was convinced that horses could fly. Okay. If you would let me qualify that. No, statement. no, I don't. I That's enough. I say we leave it there. Because he believed when they ran. That all four feet off the ground. Leg, yeah. All four legs would leave the ground at the same time. That was a huge debate. Yes. Muybridge. Yeah. <laughs> Edward. Edward. Disagreed. He thought, no, of course not. Of course they don't. So Edward, the photography buff that he was, uh-huh. decided he was going to come up with a way to photograph the horses running. Okay. In particular, I think uh, Stanford's favorite racing horse, Occident. Ooh. So to do this, he set up 12 cameras 
along the horse track and installed a tripwire that would set them off automatically, you know, as a horse oh. ran by. Pretty, so 12, boom, boom, boom. Yep, pretty okay. ingenious, huh? And then he invented something called the Zoopraxiscope. Ooh, that which, did not catch on. No. And that was the device that allowed him to project several images in quick succession to give the impression of a moving Is he going to invent image. the moving pictures? <laughs> Pretty much. Okay. I mean, that's what he did, right? You've seen I, that. You, yeah, I think I have That's seen why that, I actually. said you know of this guy. You've seen... Those, the, I've seen the stills. I don't know if I've seen the, the film of the horror. I think I've seen... Well, maybe I have. I you know. have. Okay. Cause, and they have them in those circle things, which might be the Zuax or whatever. You know, they're, they have all the still pictures on a, like a carousel, basically, oh, yeah. facing out. And yeah. when you spin it, yeah, the, the horse appears to be running. Okay, sure. That's what Edward did. Edward. Okay. Edward. <laughs> oh. And to Edward's amazement, the horse was, <gasps> very briefly... Yeah. But was suspended. Really? So when horses are gallop, they actually have. You know, Leland, I'm going to still say that's not flying. It just is. No, uh, of course. Look, it's I not. could jump right now and have all my limbs off the, and I'm not flying. So, True. Yeah. So Leland was, he was probably pretty high when he said that. But <laughs> I didn't know that. I thought they did have, um, you know, always two hooves on the ground, but nope. Nope. Okay. So basically, like you said, he basically filmed the first movie. Oh. But it's still, you know, I can't remember what it looks like. Is it, is it kind of, you know, jumpy? Or is it fairly fluid? It's fairly fluid. Okay. Yeah. Huh. And he's done other ones. <laughs> he got a little bit wacky towards the end there. But he did he, some of the earliest and, in hindsight, worst porn ever. But it was... Yeah, we'll talk about tra- it. Whoa. Okay. <laughs> but he this did... This got more interesting. Like, he did, you know like a couple waltzing and stuff like that. Uh, so Naked. That's how it became porn. <laughs> and you can look these up online and you can see them. Um, so the whole part about them actually making a bet, because somewhere I read it was like a, like a $25,000 bet, which Whoa. would have been tons of money at the he time. Was, was Meebridge wealthy? And he's, he's, he was a bookseller. Was he? Yeah, no, like he a, was not wealthy. Okay, so he can't make a $20,000, $25,000 bet. That would be like $400 billion today's money. Well, it was more like, um, yeah, I don't know if it, if it was more, if it was a two-sided bet or if it was, I'll give you, oh. you know, $25,000 if you. But, but if again, I lose, there really isn't. Bucks. Any definitive evidence that the bet part of it was actually okay. true, but the story was true that okay. Stanford wanted to know. And Stanford actually spent a bunch of money trying to determine if horses were ever had all mm. four feet off the ground, which, okay, man. So the rest of that story, like I said, is definitely true. But the real story of Edward Muybridge is how the mild mannered bookseller. <gasps> completely changed Superhero. when he was in his 30s to become this famous photographer and inventor. Because like I said, he invented basically the moving picture and the mm-hmm. zoopraxiscope. So let's go back just a, just a tad. In the summer of 1860, Edward Muybridge was running his little bookstore there in San Francisco, and he had a little problem. He was running low on books and supplies. Oh, yeah. It's not good for a bookstore. No. So he decided he needed to go out on a little trip, on an excursion. A book hunting to, trip? To resupply his store, yes. Okay. And Is he going to raid a library? That's <laughs> no. not okay. So he sets off on a stagecoach. He was the first library robber. Give me all your books. <laughs> no. So he was, some stories say he was going to get supplies. Some stories say he was going to England. Maybe he was going to England to get the books. Okay. I don't know. Maybe he had more he, books he, there at the he time. He needed sure. those books. It's a long way to go for books. But. Yes. So on his way, when he was in Texas, he, northeastern Texas, as a matter of fact, the coach had a little difficulty. The horse, you know, the driver, you know, probably whipped the poor horses and oh. they started running. And they started going, speeding down a steep mountain road, which wasn't good. And then he was trying to figure out, do they have all four legs up here at one time? <laughs> I think, I feel like they do. Well, eventually the coach veered off the road and ran into a tree. Oh, that's not good. Yeah. Edward was... I bet a lot of people died in coach accidents I'll bet back they in did. those days. Edward huh. didn't die, as we know, because we 
saw him again in 1877. Yeah. Although they weren't going nearly as fast as cars go, so probably not dying. I suppose some. True, but even if you're going yeah. 25 miles an hour, mm-hmm. you go into a tree. And Very few at the time had airbags yet. Yeah. I mean, seatbelts were uncommon. Well, M- Muybridge was thrown into the air, and he landed head first oh. on a boulder. Ooh. Cracking Ooh. his head. Owie. Yeah. Bad news. Yeah. Is he going to... Oh, my God. He's going to be a completely different person, isn't he? He woke up nine days later. It's crazy psychology (laughs) things, and all of a sudden he speaks only Hungarian with an an American accent. Okay. Close, but not really. He woke up nine days later in a hospital that was 150 miles away. I don't know if it was the nearest good hospital. 1860, you said? Yeah. Texas was still pretty damn new. Yeah. This one was somewhere in Arkansas. Fort Smith, I'm going to say. I think you're right. That was the big town in Arkansas in the early days. Yeah. He um, had a whole bunch of medical problems from this serious, I mean, traumatic head injury. He had double vision, bouts of seizures, no longer any sense of smell, hearing, Mm. or taste. COVID. Terrible. Yeah. He may be the first. He's COVID patient zero. But some people said the biggest change was to his personality. Before the accident, you know, he was a friendly and, you know, open man. He was a good businessman. He was doing well. And then afterwards, he was a risk taker. He was eccentric eccentric and moody. And, spoiler alert. What? He even later murders his wife's lover. Why would you spoil that now? Because that's not what the story's about. But I want it to be. Can you switch it up a little bit? No. Okay. And so murderer. most importantly, and the actual subject of this podcast, it made him a genius. Oh. Quite possibly a genius. Like county matchsticks kind of genius or no like physics. He Math. after the accident, you know, it took him a little while to recover, but eventually and he was at Fort Smith, eventually he um, recovered enough to actually sailed to England, and he did. And this is where his genius creativity began. Mm-hmm. He basically, This is when he abandoned book selling and decided he was going to really become a photographer. Yeah. And, and, you know, he ends up becoming one of the most famous photographers in the world, which is why I was so surprised when I said Edward Muybridge. You yeah. didn't know exactly who uh-uh. was I did not. Well, remember, Carrie, at this time, there were like seven <laughs> photographers, so it wasn't, it's a low bar. Well, because he, not only did he, you know, take groundbreaking pictures, he invented things. Yeah, like the Proto Texas Burger or mm-hmm. what the thing you said <laughs> earlier. Yeah, that caught on, and we still have those. So Texas Scope or something like that. Tra- yeah. In fact, he managed to get something like ten ten patents. Oof. In the next twenty years, he ends up traveling um, to. He goes back to America. And then, you know, travels all around, goes to like Central America. The government, the U.S. government commissions him to do a bunch of very important photography missions. (laughs) He goes to um, Alaska and, you know, takes some, you know, really amazing photographs of indigenous people and stuff like that. Being attacked by polar bears. He also did some lighthouses stuff. And Yosemite. Oh. Major pictures of Yosemite. So that is Edward Muybridge. Edward Muybridge. So the abrupt turnaround in Muybridge's life from, you know, mild-mannered bookseller to <laughs> globetrotting. Like literally the most cliche occupation as well <laughs> to be like just kind of a chill guy. Just a creative genius was attributed to, well, people believed that it was attributed to it was oh. a d- direct result of oh, his yeah. accident and his head injury. This caused huge personality swings. And Michael but, Hutchins. Well, but he didn't acquire any special talents, no, did he? No, but they, I mean, they just make, they, they, they seem like they often turn someone who's oh, a sure. chill person into an asshole. Yeah. In fact, Emma knows somebody who, who was yeah. married to somebody and who uh, was in a motorcycle accident and had a head injury. And, you know, I, I'm assuming she married him and he was a nice, fun, yeah. friendly guy. He hates everybody. Yeah. Yeah, and, it seems and, to go that direction too. Why can't it go the other way? Some total douchebag who becomes just a super cool guy. And I guess it's a it. He has to make a conscious choice, and it's an effort. 
to to be nice to certain people or to not be a complete asshole to certain people. And so she had to decide at a certain point, do I stay married to this guy or do I leave him because he's very not pleasant? Spoiler alert, she ditch him. No, they're still married. Yeah. So anyhow, I doubt if she listens to this podcast, I'm not going to name her. Anyhow, so this is what in some circles is known as acquired savant syndrome. Acquired savant syndrome. Mm-hmm. A-S-S-R-S. <laughs> okay. So that's an apt title. A acquired savant. It actually goes by a different name now. I, I'm sticking with ass. But it's where exceptional abilities emerge after a brain injury or disease. Some sources have told me that it's so rare, there are just 25 verified cases worldwide on the in, entire in planet. history. Yeah, that's, it was a single sentence, so okay. I'm not sure if it's yeah. at this point in time when the article was written ever. That's a re- recent article, I'm assuming? So Yeah. I mean, theoretically, and, I don't know. Yeah, and if theoretically we go back in history and we, we look at people, but... Mm-hmm. Um, and we think people were savants, but I guess we don't know if they had a, a brain injury or not. Yeah. But it, it's all, it can also be caused by disease. So, yeah, you know, it's something that does some damage to your brain could also cause you to become a genius. Hmm. But the, the term at, that we have heard of that is very offensive, so a little content warning here, idiot savant. Uh, okay. And that became autistic savant. Yes, idiot savant ass, was, which is much worse. <laughs> it was originally made up by John Langdon Down, and he's the guy who discovered Down syndrome. Oh, and idiot savant is derived from the French word idiot in a French accent. Idiot savant, <laughs> which I don't have. Oh, yeah. And and the word savior or savoir, savoir. S-A-V-O-I-R, that means to know. Okay. That, so, like so, an idiot who knows or something like is that? Did idiot mean so. idiot? I imagine I it did. Okay, yeah. Huh. And it was basically a non-derogatory word, sure. At for, the time, yes, Context. for somebody with a low IQ, and low IQ was defined as anything below twenty-five. Twenty-five? Yeah, that's an that's idiot. not even functioning. Yeah, yes. because eighty is considered a quote-unquote. The old term was moron, right? 80? Word, I thought it was 80. I, I thought, thought it was 80 below, was kind of average. What's average? No, average is 100. Mm. I thought eight, I thought below 80 was considered a quote-unquote moron. Yeah, so, I was, like, I was kind of slow. Kind yeah. of de- what we now, or maybe not even now, but... We did a podcast on that. Developmentally slow. 25 but, seems like you're not even able to take care of yourself. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, and in a lot of times, people that are categorized as idiot savants, mm-hmm. that's very true. But I thought the, the whole thing about idiot savants is that they do something amazingly well. Like yes. they can play, they can hear a, a song and they can play it perfectly immediately. That or is they can correct. count Dustin Hoffman can count matchsticks. And now I'll finish my sentence. Sorry. Non derogatory word for somebody with a very low IQ, which is defined as below 25. Let's just stop there again. And <laughs> unusual gifts or abilities, <laughs> ah. such as in music or math. Okay. I didn't know there was an and. Yes. It's my bad. This idiot savant term was soon replaced with the term autistic savant. Now, it's not autistic savant, it's savant syndrome. Savant syndrome. Because. Uh, acquired savant syndrome is the, this variant, right? So oh, yeah. Savant syndrome can oh, be yeah. anyone for Correct. any reason. Yeah, we're acquired talking. Acquired means yes. something like an accident or disease caused it. Yes. Okay. Because originally, John Langdon Down was not talking about acquired savant. He was talking about autistic savant. So just SS. Yes. Which also has some negative connotations, but let's just move on. Which became savant syndrome. Because only about 50% of savants are autistic. Hmm. Okay. Fit, wait, 15? Fif, five, fif, zero. Fif, okay. So of all the savants in the world, yeah. about half of them are also autistic, okay. which is probably what they think the origin, right? What's going on in their brain that's, that's causing the that's, Yeah, like it savantism. focuses on some specific thing to the detriment of, of other something brain else. functions. Yes. Or, or really, almost everything else, it seems like. Uh-huh. And the other 50% have some other sort of central nervous system syndrome or injury or disease. Mm-hmm. Okay. But they're of otherwise, quote unquote, normal intelligence? No. Okay. Then not, they're all. Not necessarily. N- okay. So. 
Because, okay, so let's take, you You mentioned the Rain Man. Let's mm-hmm. talk about him briefly. It seemed like he was supposed to be an autistic savant. Yeah. The the real person in real life, his name's Kim Peek, he doesn't have autism. Oh. He has something, it's a rare genetic syndrome. I forget what it's called. It has just letters, but it's, it's, he was born with it, but it's basically where the the bundle of nerves that connect the two hemispheres of the brain just aren't there. Mm. So there's no connection between the two hemispheres of the brain. So he could hardly take care of himself hmm. and could not function as an adult. But he could read two pages of a book at the same time, like the left and right sides of a book. He could read them at the same time his left eye would read would scan Ooh. the left page. His right eye would scan the right eye. Oh, I see. He would completely memorize it. And the opposite hemispheres would be processing it simultaneously. And he could do it in eight seconds. Oh my gosh. Yes. And and like I said, he could memorize it completely. In his lifetime, or he's still alive, I think, he's memorized over twelve thousand books, including the Bible. But he's also an expert in at least 15 different subject areas, including geography, music, literature, history, and sports. Did not know that. So, he should just crush it on Jeopardy. Yeah, I don't know what daily activities he can't complete on his own, but he can do all that. That's, all the other ones. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. So it's been estimated that savant syndrome, so which would include autistic savants and uh, you know people like Rain Man, is roughly one in a million people. But for those with autism, the likelihood is more like one in 10. So they have obviously Mm, a much greater likelihood. It's also way more prevalent in men than women. Yeah. Which autism in itself is, but also the savant part of it also is more prevalent in men. Any idea why? Nope. And so it's, it's, like I said before, it's commonly linked with other central nervous system disorders that either you have at birth or you acquire later through either some other kind of illness or an injury. And the injuries are the ones we're going to be talking about from here on out. Okay. And that those are the people like Edward Muybridge. Who got it due to head injury. Yep. Hitting his I'm head assuming always a, a head boulder. injury. You don't like sprain an ankle and all of a sudden you can no. count matchsticks. <laughs> <laughs> no. So that would be kind of cool. But, but it would be nice. Yeah. It would. There's a man named Dr. Tony Chikoria. That's name. another great name. We have so <laughs> many great names in this podcast. Tony Chikoria. And this wow. guy was already. Hey, I'm Tony Chikoria. What do yeah. you guys want to do? Want to be was, a hero? He was so, already pretty accomplished in life. He was an orthopedic surgeon. And in 1994, he was doing a very old timey activity using a payphone okay. to call his mother from a, like a family picnic or a family gathering in um, upstate New York. So he was just about done with his phone call, you know, and he was hanging it up and the phone booth was struck by lightning. Oof. Sent him flying and he, you know, landed on his back. But then he could perform brain surgery in the next <laughs> morning and did. No, he was an orthopedic surgeon. That's what I mean. He had this new skill, <laughs> oh, Carrie. Yeah. No. Oh, God. He said he had a brief out-of-body experience, and he said he, it was also like his life flashed before his eyes. He saw all the highs and lows of his life. I have heard that, and that just seems so weird to me. Yeah. you got to do that one next. Uh, weird bit. He said he felt himself <laughs> accelerate upward, and then he was yanked back into his body and feeling tremendous pain. Hmm. He actually lucked out because there was a nurse who was waiting behind him to use the payphone. So she's the one that resuscitated him. His heart stopped and everything. So she basically resuscitated it. Her name was Annie. She became Rosessa Annie. (laughs) Fact. This is 1994. We already knew about such things. Fact. So he had to to go to rehab because he was having memory issues and, you know, temporary motor skill impairments and things like that. But eventually he uh, went back to his normal life and immediately everything seemed fine. Everything was just like it ordinarily was. But in a few weeks, he had a sudden urge to listen to classical piano music. Just listen to it. So he began and he, you know, before he never had any great, 
like or love of classical music. But so he began listening to Chopin and uh, Vladimir Ashkenazi, never heard of him, and he, he just loved it. And then he decided he wanted to learn how to read music and play it himself. And he began hearing musical compositions in his sleep. And then he'd like original ones. Yeah. And he'd jump out of bed and try to write them down, which is another reason why you need to learn how to write music or read music. I believe he may have written Never Gonna Give You Up. Rick Astley (laughs) would later turn into a number one hit. Well, so basically he became convinced that his life was saved. Like he didn't die that day just so that he could nurture this new gift that he had. Yeah, that's pretentious. (laughs) So he spent the next 12 years learning how to play the piano and write music. Took him that long? I would have thought he'd be uh, overnight, like he immediately could suddenly just play anything and was played beautifully and could write music. I don't think he could. Okay. I'm not not quite as impressed then. I I don't know how... I mean, he did play beautifully, and okay. we'll play a snippet, but... Yeah, it took him 12 years. I don't know. I'm underwhelmed. I don't think it took him 12 years, but he spent 12 years doing this. He could okay. have just gone back to his surgeon life, right, and been happy. That's true. But part of this whole thing is you ha- mm. you're, you're compelled to do it. It's a compulsion. It's, it's very OCD-like. Yeah. Hopefully it's something useful, at least piano playing. It could, it could be something terrible, couldn't it? Or, you know, criminal or... Something I don't. Like that. Think- <laughs> I don't know. I am compelled <laughs> to sell meth. No. Okay. Because uh, meth dealers are not very genius and creative. No, but it's, a, that, it's, it's a, just a, your it's compulsion. A, you're really good at it. You're like Breaking Bad level good. You yeah, can't but go it's with the not. Industry and you kill people and they make a series about you. No, because we'll talk about more examples. The, the compulsion isn't. It, it's usually a, a creative. Uh, okay. Thing. Oh, okay. Creative or scholarly like math, but math. Math can be creative. I don't know. Let's not go too far. Uh, there is math and music. I did yeah. a report on it in okay. seventh grade. That's good for you. <laughs> so today, he is a talented pianist and composer. He plays sold-out concerts and has recorded albums. You can look them up. Today is in nowadays? Yeah. Oh, I thought this guy was a long... I thought he was a long time ago. 1994 at a payphone. Oh, I thought 1934. No. Oh, I'm way off. Yeah, you are. In 1934, payphones were already an old thing, too. Sorry. I had the completely <laughs> different time frame in my head here. So we could listen to Tony Chikoria even even today. Yeah. On yes. YouTube. Yeah. Okay. I wondered why Spotify. you were so surprised that you yeah. could hear him now. That seemed like he's 112. <laughs> Wait, what? There's another man. His name's John Sarkin. He had a stroke. And he I'm was sad a, to hear that. Yeah. Before his stroke, and probably even, well, I don't know if afterward he went back to it, but he was a chiropractor. He turned into an artist. He almost immediately after his stroke, he had an urge to draw. That, I mean, he had to do it. And he was having a bunch of therapies because, you know, after you have a stroke, you have occupational therapy, speech therapy, physical therapy, all that kind of stuff. And he said, at, he, was also having art therapy and he said at one point they just stuck a crayon in his hand and asked you know said hey you want to try drawing something a crayon and he said okay he's a grown-up right yeah okay he was a chiropractor yeah not not many 12 year old chiropractors could be and he lived in um gloucester massachusetts and the home of the sea monster of the early 1800s as you know go find it in our Backlog of way long ago <laughs> podcast episodes. He had a cactus, which seems unusual for Massachusetts, but that was the very first thing he drew. And he thought from that point on, he just had to keep drawing. His his drawings are pretty abstract. What year was he? He's no, also. Uh, I'm not but entirely nowadays, sure. Nowadays, modern. But yeah. Okay. Uh huh. And if you Google him, it's John, J-O-N, Sarkin, S-A-R-K-I-N. You can see a lot of his art online. Um, a lo- like a lot of it is, is, is abstract and like some of them look like weird, weird creatures, lots of snaky things and, you know, they're kind of interesting, like zigzaggy staircases and all that kind of stuff. A lot of it is pretty colorful. 
his works have been published by the New York Times. Um, he, he's done album covers. I don't know for which bands. And Blackpink. <laughs> I doubt it. And he was covered in a book by a Pulitzer Prize winning author. Mm. His paintings regularly sell for around $10,000. Nice. So he's probably doing better as yeah. an artist yes. than he was as, as a he, chiropractor. Yeah. But like I said, he would just draw on, on anything he could get his hands on. The next guy is... This Jay- is very rare, right? So we're going to do all of them? No, we're okay. not. Okay. Just yeah. a few. Jason Padgett, he was a futon salesman. Futons, that's very specific. Tacoma, Washington, 2002. He... We sell, do you sell couches? No. Sofas? No. Beds? No. We sell futons, <laughs> man. Please leave. If you don't want a futon, I'm a futon salesman. Well, he was night out on the town at a karaoke bar there in Tacoma, and he got viciously attacked. Ooh. I think they initially like demanded his jacket, and wow. I think he gave it to him, yeah. and they just beat the crap out of him. They didn't like it. It was a members only, and it was in 2000, so it was way out of date. Well, he ended up with a severe concussion, internal injuries, and PTSD. Mm. Before the attack, he was basically a, a college dropout who liked to go hang out at bars and drink and chase women and all that kind of stuff. Wow. Okay. He didn't... You say that almost as if it's not a good thing. You know, it's fine. Right. That was his right. life. Right. He wasn't very Sound academic. A, judgy. I had a, a judgy note to it is what I was, I was he feeling. Did, he didn't have any strong affinity or experience with math. He never did very well. Oh, okay. Could, couldn't get into the algebra class. I think I know where his <laughs> talent is going. Uh-huh. And algebra that was, two. Well, yeah, that was changed. He was taken to the hospital after his attack, obviously, And he said he remembered thinking that everything looked funky, in his words. But I thought it was just the narcotic pain shot they gave me. Then the next morning, he woke up and turned on the water, I guess, in his hospital bathroom. And he said it looked like little tangent lines, (gasps) which are a straight line that touches a single point on a curve. That's a tangent line. Uh, Carrie, don't patronize me. And I know what a tangent line is. Down. I've had calculus. <laughs> well, now he knows what a tangent line I, is. I, I don't know. I still don't know what a tangent line is, and you just told me. Yeah, he didn't know before okay. his attack. So from that point on, his world, like his vision, everything was like overlaid with geometric shapes and grid lines. And, and like whatever he thinks he saw, like a bus would go by and he'd see, you know, Geometric shapes I mean, only? He, Did you see equations? He, Did you see... Yeah. Oh. He, while walking through a park, he said he could see elements of the Pythagorean theorem mm. and geometric tangent lines dissecting all movement. Isn't that A squared plus B squared equals C squared? Uh-huh. Okay, well, that's not that complicated. And, oh, he saw just the C and the squared from the A. That's it. Elements of the... Okay, never mind. Yeah, I don't know. I Seems, know. Doesn't, doesn't sound that impressive, <laughs> honestly. <laughs> Dude, that was just a writing on the side of a bus, bro. Well, he regularly drew incredibly complex depictions of pie, which he said was a cathartic like, expression. Like, like apple pie? Like delicious, like banana cream? Boston? The mathematic oh. Oh, wonder pie. that is pie. 3.14159, uh-huh. et cetera. And because he said he was constantly being bombarded with these visions and uh, I guess dissect or doing something with pie kind of helped hmm. with that. Okay. He also, I think it's him, also says he found a mistake. In, in pie? pie? <laughs> really? <Yeah>. That's impressive. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if that's um, ever been okay, proven or not. Okay, on the 48th decimal. Mm. Yeah. There's another guy who, I don't know if his is acquired some syndrome or something else, but he um, could... Just easily rattle off the the entire pie. Really, number of pie. Yeah, That's I don't know how many how many digits it goes off. The guy who found was the guy who, um, Jason. Uh huh. You know, Gadget. yeah, it wasn't. It was three point one four. No, he found it. It was seven. That's his mistake. <laughs> People, we've been way off until Jason turned us right. Well, he became obsessed with math or maths. Sounds like it. If you read the BBC article on this, yeah, because they say it wrong. And he's known most widely known for his drawings of pie of. I, a, I'm, a I, am, I am struggling with the drawings of pie. What does that mean? <laughs> because it's based on a formula. 
Well, yeah, it's, not it's just the, the circumference, whatever, of the yeah. circle divided by the the other yeah. part of the circle. But um, the diameter, whatever. Yes. It's um, but what is it? so? I don't understand. He's just so he's just drawing those two elements that that comprise the ratio of pi I didn't in some look, super creative way with lots of neat neat colors. I, don't know. And, I didn't okay. look up his drawings of formulas and pi, but okay, maybe I will and post a picture We're have of it to. on our Instagram. And now he just can't believe, like, before he didn't even know what a tangent was before this. Yeah. And now, you know, he, he just, he sees it. Okay. And he says he feels like he's two different people. So far, he's by far the least impressive. Because, <laughs> A, I don't think he really found a mistake in pie. B, he's drawing <laughs> pie, which I have trouble being impressed by. And C, I don't know, he sold futons. I know. And okay. now he's a mathematical genius. Maybe he was a mathematical genius who just liked to sell futons, and now he's like kind of like... He wasn't. As I said, he couldn't get into the algebra class before. I don't think he... He didn't, he didn't really just try hard enough. No. I think he's now trying harder. That's my theory. Yeah. A lot of people have that theory. Okay. That obviously the knowledge is in there, right? I don't the know. The ability is in yeah. there. But then that would imply the ability is in everyone. It. The whole the thing that, that people, we only use 5% of our brain, 10% of our brain is complete nonsense. We used almost virtually all of our brain, of course. That's, that's, never been, that's one of the dumbest old wives' tales there is. But if we all have this level of specialized knowledge, that's weird. How do you tap into it? How do you tap into it without yeah. harming other parts of, of information processing, And I think that's the key. Yeah. There, and there are some theories. Good segue, Dean. Oh, oh sure. How does it work? How does, How does it work? this happen? What makes geniuses special? There are, there are some ideas, and like when you're bashed on the head. Mm. Interestingly enough, and this goes back to some previous episodes. Great name for a podcast. Yeah, it is. The effects are similar to a dose of LSD. Whoa. Because as we are learning, psychedelic drugs are thought to enhance creativity by increasing levels of serotonin in your brain. Okay. All right. That's the happiness hormone, right? Okay. It's what people are, are lacking or whatever, and that's what antidepressants are supposed to help with and stuff like that, right? Uh, sure. I'll take your word for it. There. This leads to the taking of LSD and mm-hmm. increasing serotonin leads to synesthesia. That's where you see colors? Well. Or something. What is, what is that again? It's where more than one region is simultaneously activated oh. and senses, which are usually separate, become linked. Oh, okay. So what I'm thinking of is just an example of synesthesia. Yes. Syne- okay. And you don't necessarily have to be on psychedelic drugs to but experience it helps. synesthesia. About 5% of the population already has some form of synesthesia. The most common type is called graphene color, and that's where words are associated with colors. You know Jeffrey Rush, the yes, actor. The actor. Mm-hmm. He has synesthesia, and that's so a like hard word. I'm not going to even try to say it. For him, Mondays are pale blue. <laughs> uh, it's kind of one of those things that you have to, have to take his word for it. It's like of not course. everyone accepts Mondays are. You know what? For now on, Jeffrey Rush said Mondays are pale blue. Uh-huh. That sounds like a song. It doesn't. So when the brain is injured, dead and dying cells leak serotonin into the surrounding tissue. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, that's so the, not great. Well, is that good? Is that bad? It well, it seems like that would then in, oh, I cause see. the connectivity, right? Yeah, I or, guess. For but, different, but but these but these um, these acquired savant syndrome conditions sound like they're permanent. Yeah. So. Does it continue to leak if that's the the that's the causation? Probably not, but the new connections are formed. Oh, I see. And they're there. Okay, interesting. So it so the the leaking of the serotonin encourages. Oh, how far are we from flooding people's brains with serotonin and trying yeah. to create geniuses? I don't know. <laughs> okay. But uh, encouraging new connections between uh, brain regions, just as like with LSD. And that's kind of the theory behind ketamine therapy. It helps to reconnect hmm. uh, synapses in your brain because you're to make it more like pliable or not pliable. Um, Let's go with pliable. <laughs> well, 
We'll delete that part. So mentally, it allows a person to link the seemingly unconnected. So these people that we've talked about and others who have acquired savant syndrome yes. have made scientists want to want to study them and test whether or not the theory that everybody has all of these abilities kind of dormant in your brain, yeah. but for some reason the connections aren't there, right? We can't access them. Okay. And like you said, so then is it possible to trigger somehow trigger this in your brain that would allow us to do all the math processes or yeah. have the creativity or whatever. So they're doing some studies. And one thing is that they think it could be um, connected to the left anterior temporal lobe. And that is the thing that if there's dysfunction in it, it would lead to overcompensation by the right brain creating competition between the hemispheres and so researchers took healthy people so people with no you know injury or like you know no autism or anything like that and they used low frequency magnetic stimulation in their brains lfm sure yes it's called no i'm just close well, it's called RTMS. That doesn't make any sense, but okay. <laughs> and they asked them to draw animals or and faces from memory hmm. before, during, and immediately after 45 minutes of stimulation. Oof. And then as a control, two patients were given, like, basically fake Just treatments. Just two? Okay. Yeah. Small and issue. Very small. So four out of the nine subjects had major changes in the way they drew the pictures, and several of them reported feeling heightened awareness for their surroundings after the treatment. And then uh, most of them reported feeling normal, back to normal, after about 45 minutes. One patient said he could... He didn't even recognize the drawing that he made. Really? He, Your zebra stripes were freaking brilliant. But 45 minutes later, <laughs> and they're stick figures. This is embarrassing, Michael. Yeah. No, he knew he had done it, but it was like, oh, my God. I, you know, I couldn't have done that. They're going to be selling a supplement to be a boost within days. Well, it's interesting because I have listened to another podcast about this very thing, and it wasn't used... It didn't have anything to do with savant syndrome or anything like that, but it had to do with like um, training, making like really good soldiers. Oh, really? Yeah. So it was it's like pretty a scary. temporary, but it's, it's, this is temporary. This is it very is temporary. temporary. So it's like you go into battle, you you or you have a mission or something like that. It's a dangerous mission for a seal or something, and you uh-huh. take a take a shot of this or whatever it is, or, or, or do this process yep. and go do it. And, and a reporter, mm. and there's actually like this this center that does it. And this reporter is a female reporter. She went there to do as she was doing a story on it, and she went there, and they did the they put the probes in her head and they stimulated her brain. And, and she took out a terrorist that very day. They gave her a test. They gave her a gun. What? And, and it was like a test where it reminded me of the old, you know, driving simulators, you know, yeah. um, driver's ed simulators, yeah. where, you know, it, you're like in a simulated battle thing with, you know, insurgents coming at you yeah. and, you know. And she's and just nailing it. She's crushing it. She absolutely did. She played Halo that night and embarrassed And at the time, the she incels. felt crazy aware you know like like she just knew how to do it she had never known how to fire a gun she had never you know learned how to to shoot at people and you know so you said they gave her a gun it was not really a gun you got scared there for a minute there she's like yeah, no, it probably was a fake. No, it gun, probably <laughs> was a fake. It probably was a fake gun. But she did fantastic. Yeah, okay. And then, and this was in Los Angeles, and she's from London, so she doesn't drive a whole lot. But she, <laughs> she flew. They flew her to to Los Angeles to do this story, and she had a rental car, so she drove to wherever this facility was, did this thing in the, in her rental car, and then she said she was scared afterwards because driving after the this thing she felt like she was the best driver in the world she, and you know she had all of this ability and she has all this local knowledge if i take the 60 <laughs> i can avoid the 10 cra- okay and she did obviously she did well she didn't crash or anything 
But she said she remembers her frame of mind and how she felt. And afterwards, it was scary to her. So it worked for her. I probably shouldn't say this, but there are, I'm sure there's YouTube videos of people rigging up, you know, probes with, with like batteries and yeah. And trying to do it themselves. Mm -hmm. That sounds like To give themselves good abilities. And it's, and it's a learning thing. It's a, you know, you, you stimulate your brain while you're trying to learn something or acquire a new skill and huh. it's very much enhanced. Yeesh. Yeah. It's not... We need some more science, though, than exactly. nine people yes. and yeah. and one English chick who can suddenly know that she needs <laughs> yes. to take the foothill for a way to avoid the fight through downtown because that's going to be a mess around this time of the afternoon. But, so, you know, real academics are doing this, you know, real scientific research into it and to, you know, see about helping if we have the capacity to access higher levels of processing in our brains and that's, you know, they're thinking maybe there is some truth to, we only use 10% I, yeah, of our brain. I've, well, I, later, last thing I, I remember reading a couple things on that and it's just be just like a nonsensical myth. We you use as much of your brains we need to use for the things we do. It doesn't make sense. Why would the human, the human body evolutionarily would not support this incredibly energy hungry organ if you're using a small percentage of that, that's just nonsense. You're right. And you know the reason why they think, some people think, and I just heard this somewhere or read it somewhere. I didn't really have it in my notes. But when we were back in the caveman days and stuff. Cave woman days, Carrie, please. Cave person days. There you go. We needed our brain capacity to keep us alive, right? Yes. To, well, that's how we got ahead in the game. Yeah, but life. to make sure that we were doing what we were doing and we could see if that, you know, saber tooth tiger was coming. That was it. There's a lot of, there's a lot of whatever, yeah. you know, that kind of stuff. And so if, if our brain was being used to compose oh. a waltz yeah. or whatever, then so, so there was a mechanism in our brain to basically shut off the creativity part of it to keep the, Keep keep us alive. The reason I don't going. think that's true is because there would not have evolved a creativity part in the first place if that were true. So I think it's probably nonsense. Well, eventually, we didn't have to use our brain 100% to keep us alive. Have you seen the paintings in the Lascaux Caves in France? They are exquisite. And that was 13,000 years ago. No, I haven't seen them. I don't know what they look like. They, they, they're very good. Yeah. So I I I am uh, I'm I'm skeptical about that part. I'm sure you are. I mean, I I'm just saying what this this is what somebody's theory was. Okay. So I might have said somebody this named Doug. <laughs> he was a janitor, <laughs> but he slipped and fell on a wet mop, and he came up decided to theorize about shit he didn't know anything about. Well, so it's been estimated, it's as I job. said, around one in ten people with autism have savant syndrome. Okay, and that there is evidence that. It's associated with enhanced creativity, and this is all very difficult to prove. Yeah, but it's also really hard to test too. Yeah, and it but they can do like functional MRIs where they can actually see what parts of your brain are working and stuff like that. But I guess they would also have to have something to compare it to, right? Yeah. But so people speculate that historical figures that we assume must have been geniuses, right? Or incredibly creative. Your or whatever. Da Vinci's mm-hmm. your Einstein. Einstein. Newton. Although he spent the last thirty years of his life wrong, uh, but still, I get yeah. you. Newton, sure, sure. Mozart, Darwin, and Michelangelo, people suspect that they may have been on the spectrum. Mm. And people say that all the time about contemporary people too. Kanye. Right? Sure. <laughs> okay. Sure, sure. So not the members of Blackpink. So I found this to be interesting. So one theory suggests that perhaps autism is caused by abnormally low levels of serotonin in the left hemisphere of the brain at some Hmm. point during childhood. I don't know if it's at birth or during, you know, development Uh, or or what that prevents the region from developing normally. And presumably it's after a certain fairly early point, it's just too late. You couldn't, you know, you could not. Yeah. I guess use I mean, serotonin I don't know. to recover those connections or or redo or whatever. Yeah, I don't know. 
that's worth studying though. It if is. There is a way to yeah. return that, that to repair. But then it also must be the result of, or I guess there could be different causes, right? But one cause, you know, it seems to be genetic because autism does seem to run in some families. Does it? Uh-huh. Oh. Yeah. I did not know that. Yep. So also interesting, many people with sudden savant syndrome also develop symptoms of autism. Really? Uh-huh. People who are not autistic beforehand, they have an accident like, mm-hmm. and they suddenly become a great photographer or mathematician yep. or pianist, they develop yeah. autism. For instance, wow. our pal Edward. He See, so that does imply that they are now using a greater portion of their brain to do this, this thing they're specially good at now, uh-huh. and they're losing. Yep. The other, trade-off is yeah, basically damage to some other area of the brain. Which implies strongly that you, aren't, you don't have some un, completely untapped capacity in your brain, because if you did, you wouldn't have to trade off. You'd just use that untapped par- portion of the brain. So we're using 100% of our brain. If you yeah. specialize in something, you're going to lose something elsewhere. Yeah. So, like, Edward yeah. basically had social problems afterwards, right? Yeah. He was moody and huh. cranky and became a murderer. You know, I wonder if... So the people who become kind of post brain post post accident brain trauma assholes yeah like like the guy that we know of the guy we know of uh and michael hutchins they do they have something else that they're good at but it just doesn't get noticed or something you know what i mean they never tap into Mm. it it's not noticed and it's latent and your brain's using it but for whatever reason it doesn't manifest itself or they don't pursue it i don't know i suppose it's possible i mean i don't know i wonder you know but uh, most of the people that I read about, they felt compelled. They had a compulsion. Yeah, okay. Which hmm. one of the other things, which I think is also common um, in uh, people with autism, is OCD. Hmm. And they're, they're, they have all-consuming interests. And they just can't leave it alone. Correct. Okay. Like an, autism, an autistic boy we know who... Obsessed with trains. And or me with Blackpink. <laughs> yes, For that's example. true. Well, Blackpink's in the area. So Jason Paget, he, he was the math genius. He had OCD tendencies, and he said it got so bad that if he had enough money, he said he would spray money with Lysol and put it in the microwave for a few seconds to get rid of all the germs. So hmm. he was, you know, obsessive compulsive about germs yeah afterwards. but his claim to fame was drawing pies so he's, he's the one i'm not <laughs> okay, impressed stop with. it that's all he did so this one person who studies this she's a doctor she says you know most of the time these people are able to have a normal life because you know they're not truly autistic they just have some tendencies but then they also have to learn how to live with whatever obsession or compulsion is yeah. The result. It could be debilitating potentially, couldn't it? It could be you become so obsessed with something you aren't able to function day to day. Yeah, you can. Like the, I don't know if it if if it was John Sarkin or if it's another guy with acquired savant syndrome who, I mean, he had to paint everything. He would paint the floor. Mm. He would paint the walls. He would everything around him. He had to paint. So if if he didn't have a canvas or something. Like I said, he just, he painted everything. When he started painting people's foreheads on the subway, it got dicey for John. Mm-hmm. Well, and John Sarkin says, he, he said it, it doesn't feel like he likes drawing. It feels like he has to. So kind of the same thing. And he said, you know, in his studio, there's, he has thousands of finished and unfinished works. And some of them are just scribbles and, you know, if you look online, a lot of his look very much just like scribbles and stuff. His is the one where, you know, we say that it's a genius or that it's this great creative talent or whatever, like with the music and stuff. Because yeah. objectively, even if you don't like classical music, if you hear somebody playing yeah. a well-composed piece of music, you recognize that, oh, that's a nice song, right? That, yeah. that's, that sounds lovely. I look at John Sarkin's artwork and... You're not impressed? 
and a fan. I say my kid could do better. Wow. Which I, yes, oh I, am, I am. Shots one of those, fired at John Sarkin. I Damn. am one of those parents. But I do have some artistically talented Jesus. children. <laughs> this just got ugly. This became like a hate show. It's also a matter of taste. Yeah. Because apparently. like I said, his paintings go for like $10,000 like a pop. Them. I like things that are kind of spooky and scary and snaky and... Oh, I never said spooky and scary. You said snake-like and kind of... He's got snaking images. but And some of them, like, they're... Like, it's very abstract. And there are, like, a lot of faces and stuff like that. Portraits. Mm. He's got, like, a portrait series or whatever. And it's not, like, a realistic portrait of a person. But if you go look at him... I'm going to look it up. Some of them, I know my kids could do better. Wow. But But it's better, in my opinion... Not, which is very subjective. Yes, because your kids aren't making $10,000 per a painting. Correct. Okay. But I mean. But yeah, no, I get you. Yeah. No, there's so, a lot of things that I think that are, that's, in art, it's inevitable. Yes. It's subjective. Yeah. Or, you know, what's his name? My favorite guy, the, the master of light, who, oh. who painted just absolute trash I hospital wall name. art um, and made millions of dollars. Yeah. On it, so, who yeah. turned out to be a horrible person, and shockingly was a douche. <laughs> so, anyhow, the also this is something that is pretty un- universal. Kincaid. Thomas Kincaid, yes, yeah, douchebag, terrible artist. <laughs> it's pretty universal with um, sudden savants that they have a, a compulsion to do whatever their yeah. you know newly acquired talent. Or so it's probably not a situation is. where the ones who just become assholes. Are hiding some hidden talent. Yeah, that developed. That's why I don't think so. Okay. Yeah, and like I said about Muybridge, either word. Yeah, he ended up uh, going moving to Philadelphia and continued, you know, capturing motion on film. So that was pretty um, inventive Pioneer. and groundbreaking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Edison and stole everything from him. I'm sure. This will bring us back to to a comment you made. He photographed all kinds of activities. Porn. Walking up and down stairs. Fucking. Oddly. And horse racing. <laughs> well, you, you take it just a little bit far, further beyond where he okay. went. Okay. Just a simple hand job. But he did do a, a, like a motion capture thing of him. Um, it's not called motion capture, but you know what I mean. <laughs> he invented but, motion capture. That'd be super impressive. Oddly, himself swinging no. a pickaxe. Completely nude. Why would he want any? <laughs> think anyone wants to see that? He did. And, a and pickaxe. He he would like. I mean, he must have hired like I don't know student someone. models or whatever to to do activities, and he would do the you know successive photos yeah. and then make little movies out of them. Oftentimes in the nude. Why? You can see these online if you want to. I don't to. think I want to. There's I one. don't want to see anyone do nude pickaxing. That sounds like a fetish. <laughs> one of a guy. I didn't see that one. But there's one of a guy swinging a tennis racket, fully nude. <laughs> Wiener swinging back and forth <laughs> as he swings the tennis racket. There's other ones of two nude women. One woman sitting in a chair. Another nude woman walking over to her, handing her a cup of tea. Would you like some tea? <laughs> and the other woman drinking the tea. I love tea. You know what I like tea better? Nudity. Weird. Very mundane day-to-day activities. But the it was da- like what? Late 19th, 19th century then probably. Yeah. Wow. And the, uh, the couple doing the waltz, they were fully clothed. Oh, but, see. Yeah. Now there, I feel like... <laughs> <laughs> Some tasteful nudity could have been deployed. But between 1883 and 1886, he took more than 100,000 pictures. Oof. And so like these pictures that he would take of people and then, you know, configure them into these moving pictures, he would take the pictures for lighting purposes, usually outdoors. So he would spend the summer taking just gobs of photos of people doing stuff. And then he would spend the winter months editing them and putting them into his little movie huh. and selling them on street corners. <laughs> I don't know what he did with them. Oh, that was early porn, believe me. It was like, oh my God, I know. I'm seeing this? This is not happening. But they were preserved. I mean, they still exist to these days. 
And you were very interested in the whole murder mystery part of it? I was. I thought that was our topic. No. I want to hear more about the murder before we sign off. It wasn't a mystery, and because it was not part of the topic, I didn't go read all the particulars, but he ends up murdering his wife's lover. Oh. Was he the inspiration for the Tim Robbins character in Shawshank Redemption, I wonder? Possibly? No, because he was acquitted. Oh, he was acquitted. Me? Yes. Oh, really? Justifiable man. Your wife is oh. having yeah, an affair. I can see that. Was this in you, Texas? You get to kill the guy. Where was this at? <laughs> Probably California. Wow. I'm guessing. I okay. don't know. Okay. And just, this is... Just remember that. This was at some point before he goes to Central America or Alaska huh. or something, and his wife keeps trying to divorce him. <laughs> Jesus Christ. She and eventually have. she does. You know, because in the days, a judge gets to decide whether or not you have grounds for divorce. And I guess maybe until he killed her boyfriend, she she didn't have grounds or whatever. I don't know all the details. And those were just barely grounds (laughs) even then. So she... I thought thought you said he killed his wife. He killed his wife's Oh, no, no, no. He killed his wife's... Yes, lover. And so uh, he's acquitted. And she finally is able to get her divorce. And... I don't know, like three months later, the poor woman dies. Oh, I know. It's very sad. It's too bad. Well, but at least she had a fun time before. I mean, up until the guy was (laughs) shot off the top of her. But before that, Mm -hmm. she's enjoying herself. Yeah. Well, that's an interesting story about Edward Muybridge and his others like him. Yeah. Also, his name wasn't originally Edward Muybridge. Well, okay, that makes him a <laughs> lot worse of a human being if he picked that name. He did. Oh, well, he, it was Edward. He changed Edward to okay. Edward. I now hate him officially. And his last name was something like Muggeridge or something like that. Oh, worst yep. person in the world. They, he, did he change his name after the accident? Because that explains he's probably an asshole after the accident, right? I think, he, well... Yeah. I didn't, you know, Clearly. nowhere Clearly. did I read he was an asshole, but he was okay. moody and yeah. he wasn't yeah. as friendly and all that kind of stuff. And changed his name to Edward. Uh, but Leland Stanford liked him. Yeah, not a, <laughs> not a great recommendation there. Yep. Well, thank you, Carrie. You're welcome. Appreciate that. Till next time. Thanks for listening. On the World World Podcast. Bye. <laughs>